Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And you get news on our 5 o'clock show you get no place else. In in the studio with us, Judge Richard Weinberg, Common Sense Democrat, and David Patterson, a Common Sense Democrat, too. And David, you made worldwide news uh, on my uh, interview with you on Sunday. Well, John, it was all you. I was just there. <laughs> you were just there talking, Governor. Well, because John interviewed you, and what did you say, Governor? I said that I've lived around the city for all of my life. Um, the only time I wasn't in the city is when I wasn't allowed in the public school system at the time. And that the um, fear that I hear from other people, and then I have even experienced myself about the potential being a potential victim of crime is greater than it was before. Now, if you look at the crime statistics over the last year, they're mixed, but for the most part, they're lower. So it isn't really the crimes that are being committed that's making me and a lot of other people feel that way. It's the sense that there is, um, well, for instance, you have a tremendous amount of publicity about crimes right now. You also have the issue of um, uh, crime being a factor in the political campaigns. But most of all, I think that there is a fear because back in the late 80s, when crime was rampant and 2,000 people uh, a, uh, uh, a year were killed, at that time, the crime was compartmentalized. It was in particular neighborhoods. It really was uh, an outbreak of the crack uh uh, in all of the neighborhoods around the city that spiked a lot of that crime. So as long as you stayed out of certain places, you'd probably be all right. But we've had just in the last year, a man killed while sitting in a restaurant at 61st street and park at 62nd street and park Avenue. It's and, crazy. It's and, crazy. Yep. It's and out we, of control. We've had two high level women figures that are known around this city. One of them was attacked at 74th and park at two 30 in the afternoon. And the other was, uh, sped on at 48th Street at another period. So when you add these things together, it creates uh, a, a fear. And I kind of didn't think about it for a while or just chalked it up to different things. But when I think you, uh, particularly when you're on the air, you owe people your own honesty. I've changed some of my ways of doing things because of it. Well, I understand that, and uh, you're perfectly. I think you're perfectly right. I think things are getting to the point where they're out of control. And Ed Cox, a common sense Republican, it, would say it, you. It, it's random. That's the problem. It just happens. You never know you're going to get hit over no the head. No one is safe. Exactly. Before, you know, there are, there are certain areas or certain people. Or certain or times of day. You knew. purpose to whatever the crime was. These are purposeless crimes. People, if I'm in the subway and I use the subway a lot, I'm going to. Stand against the wall. I don't want someone to push me on there. And I, I fear someone might. I understand we have our common sense uh, Bill O'Reilly on the phone. That's right, Bill O'Reilly, prolific author. He's got a great book out now, Killing the Legends, 19 million books sold so far in his Killing series. He's also got a show every night, Monday through Friday, here on WABC Radio at 9 p.m. Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly, you live out there on Long Island. Can you believe what happened to Congressman Lee Zeldin? I mean, we keep talking about it, that crime could show up on your front doorstep, and, and it really did. 
it's almost like a scripted movie. So, I mean, here's a, a, a congressperson, and you have two 16-year-old teenagers, girls in the house doing their homework, and two thugs outside on your front lawn shooting each other. I mean, it's, it, it, people get, no, 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 no. But the reaction to it tells you all you need to know. So the governor of the state goes, oh, well, I'm glad that these elderly girls are okay, the family's all right, and it shows we have to work together to get the guns off the street. That is a quote <laughs> yeah. from Kathy Hochul, right? It's, it's like trying to get the drugs off the street. Right. Meanwhile, not, meanwhile not they're, they're the shipping them double coupons. Off the street. Not yeah. the criminals off the streets. Yeah, not the gun criminals off the street. Got to get the guns off the street. Not not the people who... who uh, and, Is that uh, what you call a talking point? Yes. And then the uh, uh, Suffolk law enforcement, and I respect them, so I'm not going to mention his name. He says the same thing. as we got to get the guns out of the hands of these criminals. Well, the way you get the guns out of the hands is put them in handcuffs, and then they can't get the gun. You see? It's all about guns for the left, not about the people who use the guns. And this drives me crazy because does anybody, is there any New Yorker, there are 20 million of us, is there anyone who believes that Kathy Hochul will make this state and New York City safer is there one person out of 20 million who believes that? I do. <laughs> but let the record reflect. That was Governor Patterson. That was not me. I just Bill Edcox, that would take a strong leader, and she's not. New York governors, Governor New York demands strong leadership is from its governor. He's making a right, joke. He's making a joke. <laughs> but there can't be anybody out of the 20 million of us who feels that this governor right now is going to improve the situation. So I don't understand she why says, She says, Kathy Hochul has been saying, trust me, I'll fix it after the election. Well, she <laughs> what tried happens, to, but, what but, happens if she doesn't fix it then? She tried to fix it before the election. She did have a plan. The plan wasn't bad. Even uh, people who didn't agree with all of it thought that it had some merit. The legislature didn't pass it. Yeah, but she says, trust me. Well, we, we, would you make a trustee of your uh, kids' estates? Well, I think... Uh, trustee of my kids' estates? Yeah, I'd let her do that. But okay. In, in terms of, uh, of <laughs> in terms of, of uh, her, what she can do when she's reelected, when she's reelected, it's a whole lot different than it is when you're running, you came into office, not through an election, and I, I think she'll be a lot stronger. Judge Weinberg, who did she just make one of her top counsels? The... Uh a new deputy counsel is a former legal aid lawyer who uh, was one of the authors of this bill. By the way, I've come up with the expression, Bill. I want your comment on it. I say right now in New York State, because of the Democrats in the legislature and the Democratic governors, there is no law and there is no order. What do you say? I think it's even worse than that. Um, number one, Governor Hochul could remove Alvin Bragg and the other district attorneys all over the New York state who do not enforce the law and she won't. So that that's all you need to know. I don't want your promise. I don't want your plan. You will not take action. Even when there are dead people piling up, the subway is a key to New York city life because people have to use it to go to work. And so 
People are terrified, particularly women, to go on the subway. They're terrified to go on the subway. So, Governor Hochul, you are okay with that? I don't understand. Are you so? What are you going to do? Well, trust me, after the election, I don't believe a word of it. The progressive philosophy is that punishing criminals is wrong because Mm -hmm. the country is bad. The system is racist. And the system wants to incarcerate minority people. That's what the system wants to do. So we, in our enlightened state, are not going to do that. We don't believe in incarceration. We believe in engaging the criminal and convincing that person not to do evil deeds or violence. So all the gang members and these two kids in Shirley, if you can imagine, Shirley, Suffolk County. I've been there many times. Shirley, not the Bronx. All right, these are gang members. Now, you're going to go in and you're going to convince all these gang members, you know, walk away and here's a job over in Subway. You can make some sandwiches. I mean, you know, it's just ridiculous. And what has happened is poor people are dying. And and we just have political rhetoric. As I said, the polls are just about tied. I can't believe that Zeldin's not 20 points up. Right. And and Bill O'Reilly, I think a lot of people try to simplify the bail reform law and say, well, it's in cashless bail, but it also has to do with discovery that the DAs are uh, under this immense amount of pressure in a very short timeline to turn over evidence. They could also give over the uh, a victim's name and address and they could possibly be killed. And then also we have to talk about raise the age. These two kids that were hiding under Lee Zeldin's porch, they were only 17 years old. How much you want to bet that the people shooting at them were also teenagers. So we're seeing this over and over again. These young kids, they they have the guns, they're in the gangs, and they're they're and allowed that, to just go put, free. No, no. They put them in family court, which is a slap right. on the wrist. They don't go into uh, state Supreme Court where the, the felony should be. They, they so we got to raise the court. age. So Bill O'Reilly, what do you think about, you know, the Democrats also trying to kind of simplify everything and make it seem like you said that we just want to toss everybody in jail. It's not just about that that needs to be fixed. See, I don't understand the uh, progressive mentality because it doesn't work and people die. So if you're really interested in the minority community, African-Americans, um, and you see the victimization and how many people are hurt and killed by these insane permissive policies, it doesn't stack. You're not helping you're hurting the very people that you give lip service to to want to help and the final thing is all you have to do is talk to any new york city police officer and believe me every one of them knows who i am and then when i go uh certain places they all come over and i always ask them i said you know you think the city's safe and they laugh now the the, the one thing cynical laugh it's like no And we can't do anything about it because we're told don't bring these cases in. I mean, if you if you deal heroin, heroin to a 17 year old on the streets of New York and they see you, the police see you, that will not get prosecuted. I mean, once you reach that anarchy, that place, then quality of life disappears as it has. 
Bill O'Reilly, what I've been saying repeatedly, if you steal a loaf of bread because you're hungry, okay, no bail. That's fine. Fine with me. But if you're a repeat, a repeat violent criminal, now what what am I saying wrong there? Why can't the people in Albany recognize those words? They don't want to. It doesn't play into their vision of what the state should be. And, and, you know, you sit there and every time you you cite a statistic that shows the human cost, the damage to humans, they just walk away. They don't even answer. They don't even gauge. And and I uh, was a local reporter at Channel 2 during the crack wars. I saw it. And then I saw how Giuliani and Bloomberg allowed the police department to clean up the crime. And they did it because they arrested their way out of it. So uh, those, those you agree 100%. Who, who failed to understand history are doomed to repeat it. You can arrest your way out of it, but you have to put them in jail, and them are heavily minority, and that's what Albany won't do. So, therefore, you're sacrificing the safety of all eight New and Yorkers. Half, you're sacrificing the safety of eight and a half million New Yorkers. Twenty, uh, John. Well, 20, twenty in New York State. Yes. Because uh, you know, if if there's somebody on a front lawn at Zeldin's house in Shirley, Suffolk County, come on. Bill O'Reilly, oh. you're on 9 o'clock tonight, the number one show at night. Uh, tell us what you're going to talk about. Well, we got a whole bunch of things tied into the progressive left and what the overall philosophy is. And, it, and it's not pinheady because you know me, I'm a pretty simple guy. But when I was watching the Mets last night, um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, the Mets, I grew up with them. And they have had a magnificent season, and New Yorkers' expectations for the sports teams are insane and all that. When I was watching them, I said, you win or lose in sports based on merit. It's a meritocracy. All right? The best team wins. The players who are most effective win, and they are rewarded. That's our capitalistic system. The smarter you are, the more you help your company or you can start your own, the more money you will make, the more you'll be rewarded economically. That's not what the progressives want. And you see it in Albany and New York. They want the government to provide equal outcomes for everybody. So therefore, if you're a heroin addict and you want to lay down on somebody's stoop in the Bronx and do whatever you do, you can do it. No, this is a breakdown. We have to have quality of life. Our capitalistic system is based on achievement and merit. But this progressive left, I can't tell you how terrible this whole movement is. It is terrible. But it's not winning. And the Mets, look. Well, no, they, I, I know the Mets weren't winning. I'm saying the progressive left is not winning. Winning. I hope in in four weeks. I people, mean, people I, understand, I, Bill, it becomes that everyone being equally poor. That's the bottom line. Or equally line. miserable yeah. or equally in danger. Exactly. And it's crazy. They, they, I think Zeldin may win. I think Zeldin may win. And that 
will be one of the most significant political happenings in the history of New York State if he wins. Well, we got to save New York, whatever it takes. And I, Bill O'Reilly, I'll be listening to you at 9 o'clock tonight on WABCradio.com, BillOReilly.com, and uh, 770 on your dial. God bless you, and... We need we need God's blessing on New York because otherwise New York is not going to survive. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, thanks for having me. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. We still got a great show for everyone. Keep it right here. We're going to speak to the Honorable Carl Rove, Paul Lunsis, uh, talking about the economy. Dr. Mark Siegel, we're going to be talking about the Florida State General and COVID boosters. But first, on the line with us right now, we have General Jack Keane. He is a former Vice Chief of Staff of the United States Army and also Presidential Medal of Freedom. Welcome back to Cats at Night, General Keane. General King, King, good to have you. Uh, The American people really don't understand what is happening. Uh, I mean, did the Ukraine bomb Russia and Russia bombed them back? Give us your simple explanation what is happening for the American people. Yeah, sure. Um, It is likely the Ukrainians haven't claimed it, but they likely blew up the Kirsch Bridge. And the reason is it's such a symbol of Russia's control of Crimea. The Russia took control of Crimea in 2014 and then in 2018 built a 12 mile bridge that connects Russia to Crimea. In the past, you had to travel by ferry uh, or by airplane. So it was a significant symbol of Russia owning Crimea and the Ukrainians, I know for a fact, ever since the war began some eight months ago, they've always been looking for an opportunity to take this bridge down because it has such strategic symbolism. And and they finally did. They haven't owned up to it yet, but certainly Putin knows that they did. And that's why he ordered a mass retaliation, which took place largely this morning in Ukraine, uh, 75 rockets and missiles and, and drones uh, against 10 to 12 different targets throughout Ukraine. And, he, and what he's doing, John, is he knows he can't defeat the Ukrainian military, and that's why he's gone to mobilization to bring some, some more troops in there to double the size of his forces on the ground. But in the meantime, he's really going about attempting to break the will of the Ukrainian people. He can't defeat the military, so he wants to defeat the people. But that's not going to happen. Because the Ukrainian people are steadfast, they've got huge amount of determination and resolve, and they're going to fight Putin to the end. And that, that is the truth of it. Do the Ukrainians need a better uh, uh, air defenses with respect to what's being thrown at the civilians now by the Russians? Yeah, that's, you put your finger right on one of the problems. I was speaking to the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States and her defense attache, Major General Kremeninsky, on Friday. And there's a number of things that they need. One of them is air defenses. And they want the air defenses to largely protect their civilian communities because even before the bridge blew up and Putin conducted this attack uh, Monday morning in Ukraine, For the last seven to ten days, Putin has been attacking civilian infrastructure, mostly energy, electric grids, again, 
to hurt the Ukrainian people. And he, he hasn't been doing it on a massive scale because he, he, he doesn't have the, the precision gun munitions to do that. So what we saw today, he can't sustain. But, yeah, he's targeting civilian population areas because he can't defeat the military. But, and they need air defenses. They need a bunch of other things uh, as well. But that's one of the, the main things that they want. General, General it's, uh, Richard Weinberg, sir, what else would you recommend that they have? The Army has a, a system called the Army Tactical Missile System. It's almost 200 miles in range, very accurate, precision-guided, fired out of the same system that the HIMARS is. In other words, it's fired off the back of a truck. HIMARS goes about 50 to 60 miles, and this would go 200. This would enable them to reach all the targets that they need in Crimea. What has happened is the Russian military has moved back a lot of their resources beyond the range of the HIMARS. They know exactly how what that range is, and they're taking advantage of those those limitations. And they want tanks, F-16 fighter planes from the United States, and more artillery and more artillery munition. The tanks they're going to get, the uh, eight TACMs, the Pentagon and the White House has said no for the time being. The F-16s are being discussed. Chief of Staff for the Air Force wants to provide them. I'm not sure the White House is going to go along with it. So we're still in this unfortunate game of not giving the Ukrainians all they need to win, which is uh, one of the frustrations we have when we're watching this every single day. General Jack Keane, we keep hearing about Putin and nuclear weapons, and even the president himself said Armageddon. It frightens me to hear about Putin kind of trapped in a corner like a rat. Could it be possible that he could press that, that infamous button? Well, it's certainly possible, and you have to take that seriously. But when you analyze it, I think it's unlikely. And first of all, Putin, um, as much as you know, we, we're talking about it while well, he's losing and he's cornered and the rest of it, but the one thing that Putin and all of these dictators have in common, he, he President Xi, the supreme leader in Iran, Kim Jong-un, is self-preservation and the preservation of their regime. So Putin will figure out how to preserve himself and his regime in this endeavor. And I don't think he's going to resort to nuclear weapons because if he did, then he's going to guarantee losing because the United States would be forced to respond with NATO as a result of that. And we know where all the Russian troops are in Ukraine because we tell them every single day. And we would have little difficulty destroying the Russian military that is that is still in Ukraine, as well as their ammunition and supply depots inside of Ukraine, we'd use air and missile attack to do that. And and their military certainly knows that. But listen, he he's brandishing this. It's a fear, fear mongering. He really wants to break the will of the United States and the Europeans to help the Ukrainians and also force the Ukrainians to negotiate. That's kind of what his motivation is. I'm going to ask you a question you don't want to be asked. If Putin decides to fake it and just uh, blow a small nuclear bomb over the Black Sea or or somewhere just to do it, how do we react? If he did that, if there's no casualties, uh, we would not, I don't believe we would respond militarily. World condemnation, all of that would take place. 
But he wouldn't have any impact on Ukraine because Ukraine's not going to give up. I mean, no. the Ukrainians, are, their resolve and determination is, is really something to admire. And even they openly discuss if they use the nuclear weapon against well, What I fear is when, their resolve. when uh, President Biden told the generals, we want to get out of Afghanistan, just get out. And the general said, but, but Mr. President, uh, we got X, Y, Z is going to happen. I don't care. Get out. That's what I'm afraid of if you have a bad reaction. Thank you so much, General Keene. And you're one common sense guy. And thank you for serving our country. Yeah, always good talking to you, John, and your audience. Thank you. Thank you. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. Now on the line for us is the Honorable Carl Rove. He was a he's a policy advisor, also senior advisor and deputy chief of staff during the George W. Bush administration. Uh, welcome to Cats at Night, Carl Rove. Well, Carl, thanks for having me back. Well, th- thank you for coming back. And Carl, give us your your, your analysis. It's uh, how many days? Uh, Twenty nine days to the election. Give us your pulse of what the heck is going on because it changes. Yeah, constantly changes. Uh, what I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks is uh, a couple of two or three important things. One is the, uh, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the Dobbs decision on abortion, uh, that issue rack, rocketed up the list of issues that people cared about. We've now begun to see that uh, over the last uh, basically month and a half, two months, it's begun to decline in importance. Uh, to voters, still important to a vital element to the Democrats, Democratic women in particular care about it. But uh, where once it was, um, you know, high teens, low 20s, it's now in some surveys dipped down uh, back into the high or, or, or single uh, high single digits or middle single digits. Yeah, Carl, Ed Cox here. Yeah, the Hochul campaign is still running ads that are basically all about abortion. Uh, which well, is not a really a, a substantive issue in the, in New York State. She can't run on the crime. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, uh, that's Taxes. happening all across the country. In, in, in Nevada, where the issue of abortion has been settled by a statewide referenda that locked in uh, the, the, the law for the state guaranteeing a woman's right to choose up to a certain period of time, um, the, the U.S. Senate candidate, Cortez Mastow, is attacking uh, Adam Laxalt only on abortion. It's all about abortion. And... Uh, I think that's this this is a symptom of, you know, they, they sort of got stuck in this pattern and they're not going to get out of it. At the same time, the issue of inflation has been, been coming back. We had a period where gas prices declined, though they were about a buck at their low point. They were still a buck 31 ahead of where they were when uh, Joe Biden was inaugurated president. And uh, and they've been rising along with concerns about, you know, when, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to equip the kids for school. I mean, uh, everything that uh, you, you buy and, and, and need for your family seems to get more expensive. And we've seen a continuation of a decline in real wages. Your paycheck may go up, but it's not going up as fast as your costs are. So those things have, I think, combined to deal the Democrats a uh, uh, a bad blow. And, and in addition, we've had this weird thing that, you know, on starting on the 8th of August, we, we paid a lot of attention for about three or four weeks until the first or second week of September to what what happened in Mar-a-Lago, the FBI search of the former president's residence. And that consumed a lot of time and energy and effort. And now that's in the courts and doesn't dominate the headlines like it did, particularly in the first um, three weeks of the episode uh, starting on the 8th of uh, August through the end of the month. So the more that we pay attention to 
the real issues that affect people every day and where they live, whether it's inflation or jobs or paychecks or crime or you know, particularly in my part of the country, uh, uh, the border, um, the, the better off the Republicans are and the tougher it is for Democrats. Cool. Call it, sir. It's Richard Weinberg. I want to ask you this. Everybody kept thinking about the border crisis as a Texas problem. And then Abbott and DeSantis had the uh, the political wisdom to try to nationalize that issue. What's the impact of that, do you think? Well, I think it's helped raise the issue. I mean, here the city of Chicago goes nuts when it gets a couple of hundred people uh, delivered to to Chicago. Uh Incidentally, those people went voluntarily, and many of them had probably relatives or friends in Chicago, uh, and the state of Texas helped transport them there by bus. Well, think about it. We have had over 2 million people hit the southern border. The, the, the mayor of Yuma, Arizona, is a friend of mine. I think it's like 26,000 people in the town, and they were receiving each month. More than, you know, more than 30,000 people a month. So that, that community was literally being drowned in people who were coming across the border, being processed by the, by, by the feds, and then released into the community. We're seeing this all across the Texas border. The city of Del Rio, the city of Eagle Pass, they, 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 they literally the number of people who are processed through and dropped off in those communities by the feds is more than the population of those towns. So when New York got, got uh, you know, I think it's thousands, several thousand people, Chicago, several hundred. The District of Columbia has now gotten several thousand. These are self-described sanctuary cities. They passed a city uh, resolution saying we welcome uh, illegal immigrants. And OK, fine, you know, put up or shut up, because literally in the state of Texas, our state government is spending four billion dollars in order to help provide border security and assistance along the border to these illegal aliens who are coming across our border. These migrants who have, you know, they're desperate people. They have they have no place to live. They have no, no, no. You know, they, they come with some money in their pockets. But, you know, they're being dumped by the feds into our communities. And, and the people of Texas are being expected to pick up the tab for the failure of the federal government to enforce the border. Uh, Carl, Carl Rove, uh, a bigger problem. The amount of drugs uh, have oh. killed 140,000 Americans in the last 12 months. The poisoning of Americans. Uh, I mean, that's 140,000 Americans in the last 12 months is more than Vietnam, Korea, mm -hmm. and Afghanistan put together. Mm -hmm. And this is yeah. in 12 months. Yeah, and think about this. First of all, the precursors, the chemicals needed to make fentanyl, where do they come from? China. 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 And they are, they are, they are you know, in essence, uh, moved across the ocean, smuggled into, into Mexico. The cartels then take the, take the material. They've now become good at processing it. They create the drug. They then bring it across the border. I have a young friend. Uh, son of my one of my best friends who's in the Texas National Guard, who is stationed on the border through the end of this month. He's been there for months upon end, as are other members of the Texas National Guard. What, what happens is the cartel will take in the middle of the night several hundred people, push them across the river. So suddenly, you know, they're, they're, they're detected by uh, the Border Patrol, the Texas Department of Public Safety and the Texas National Guard. They swarm the, that part, that isolated part of the border in order to they corral those people and process them. And meanwhile, five or ten miles away or six or seven miles away, two guys with, dressed in black with backpacks bring across tens of thousands of pills worth hundreds of thousands of dollars of fentanyl. And you know what the cartel does to celebrate a successful crossing of the border? 
they shoot off tracer rounds on the Mexican side of the border. And the, chem- like the, and the chemicals, the Carl, animals. the chemicals yeah. come from China. From China. Uh, and, uh, and if you're Xi, if you're China, Xi and they, 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 they have long memories. They remember yeah, the opium wars when the West pushed opium right. and fought a war to be able to sell opium into China. Right. This is yeah. what the Chinese are doing to yeah. us now. But according to the Homeland Security investigations, the cartels are actually making more money from human trafficking than they are from oh, sure. drug trafficking. Their uh, revenue has soared from $500 million to now $13 billion this year alone. Okay. Yeah. Now you Carl, know why, you, you, it's, it's, why they're it's, having fights among themselves. It's Columbus so Day. I got to go to the uh, that guy in charge of the parade. Thank you so much, Carl Rove, and we'll talk real soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you. On the line with us is Angelo Vivolo. I understand you guys ran one heck of a parade today. Tell us. Hey, it was phenomenal. We had incredible weather. We had, I think, the biggest crowds we've had in years. At least a couple of hundred thousand people coming and coming uh, on Fifth Avenue to view the parade. Uh, the parade had over a hundred participants. I mean, and you guys at seven seventy, oh, just the best. I mean, I don't know, it was the pizza or it was the cannolis? It was, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was just a great, great, great day. Thank you, John, for giving us uh, so much time and the opportunity to promote our Italian heritage and culture. And uh, it, it was just it was just wonderful. You had Italians up and down Fifth Avenue. Uh, Cousin Vinny was singing uh, all the way up Fifth Avenue. It was a beautiful day. Uh, the weather was great, and people loved it. People enjoyed it. Angelo Vivolo, happy Columbus Day. Thank I'm, you so much. Thank you so much, yeah. It was a great day of unity. I'm, yes, I'm, and, I'm and listen, everybody. President Biden did something good. I understand President Biden gave the Columbus Foundation uh, a, uh, a what is it? An executive order that it was officially Columbus Day. Well, I hate to tell you the bad news. He gave it, did a proclamation which was excellent in reference to Columbus Day and the Italian Americans. But he also issued a proclamation for Indigenous people on the same day for the same day. Maybe now, he forgot. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, disrespectful to indigenous people. They should have their own day. I, we I agree. support them. I and but whatever, it was a great day, John. We can't thank you enough, and Margot and your whole crew, Chad, everybody, and Frank. I mean, it was just great, great being with you, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it again next year. Thank you, Angela Vivolo. Thank you so much. God bless, uh, God uh, bless America, you. and God bless, uh, bless the uh, Italian people. Uh, next, so we have uh, uh, Paul Luntzis, an investment uh, advisor. Uh, and uh, Paul Luntzis, Jamie Dimon had something to say today. Tell us what Jamie Dimon said. Yeah, Jamie, Jamie was speaking today over in London at the JPM, J.P. Morgan Techstars conference. And he said quite a few things, John. He said it's uh, we're at a very serious time and he thinks that uh, the U.S. is likely to tip into recession in six to nine months. Um, they're, you know, forcing the- they're forcing it. They're forcing it. It's true, John. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, the typical consumer or many consumers are still doing well. They're in better shape than they were during the global financial crisis in 08, 09. But he talked about, you know, the economy without talking about the future. And his real concern is, you know, the level of interest rates, inflation to battle inflation, the quantitative tightening, and then the geopolitical issues, the biggest of which is the Ukraine and Russia. So all those factors brought together, all those variables brought together, um, are creating a very, very challenging environment for our, our economy. 
And and uh, uh, let me ask, um, uh, boy, where do we start? Um, interest rates. I understand the thirty-year bond or the thirty-year mortgage is seven and a half percent. If you have a house and you want to sell it, and you're paying three percent interest right now, and you wanted to buy another house, you can't move the three percent interest. You you would have to pay seven seven and a half percent interest for the next house. So who's well, going to sell? That's that's a great point, John. Housing is certainly one of the areas that are going to be impacted the most. There's 52 or 53 million mortgages out there, and 46 or 47 million of them, interest rates are under 5%. So refinancings are over. The other issue is not only have interest rates on mortgages gone way up, um, the value of homes has escalated enormously because of the very low rates. So it's a double whammy, John. The, the houses are starting to come down in price some. But, you know, at seven and a half percent or seven percent, given the elevated valuation levels from a year and two and three years ago. Now, the person, if you had a five hundred thousand dollar house and the person you're selling it to can't afford the seven and a half percent mortgage, he's not going to buy your house unless you lower it to four hundred thousand. That's right. That's exactly right, John. That's my point. So the, the interest rates have a profound impact on the price of the home. That's correct. So if you're trying to sell now. Um, it's really going to become even more so a buyer's market, not a seller's market, and it becomes, which is Paul, what it's been. becomes even more problematic because it's something called the wealth effect, consumer confidence. So if I had a house that was worth 500000 last year, now it's worth 400000 I'm feeling incredibly poor. So I'm going to be spending less money. I'm going to be tightening my belt. Also, you feel poorer because the wages that you are earning are being uh, eaten up by inflation. Eaten by inflation. And by the way, what, the deferred comps and the pension plans, they're going down, too. So it, isn't this a that, full employment recession that we're in now? Are people sense that, that they're poor, well, even, even though they have a job? Those are great points, Ed and Judge uh, Weinberg. The other issue is when you look at where rates are today, the impact is really reverberating through the economy. And people are going to start taking out riskier mortgages to afford the home. They'll do five-one arms. They'll do all kinds of different things. And that, you know, I'm not implying at all it's going to be like 08, 09. The leverage isn't there. The consumer's in better shape. Debt ratios are much better. But it just creates risk that it doesn't need to be creating. Uh, absolutely. Um, tell us your other uh, – give us whatever else you feel about the pulse of the market. Well, you know, John, one of the things we look at, I think the interest rates, inflation is the foundation and related to inflation is what are they going to do with interest rates? They meet November 1st and 2nd, December 13th and 14th. Are they going to raise them 50 basis points or 75 at each, each or one, each one or both? Um, Quantitative tightening is very scary. Jamie himself mentioned it's unknown what the impact, the unknown effects of quantitative tightening. We've never experienced a $9 trillion Fed budget. That's running things off at ninety-five billion a month. They're going to bankrupt the country. That's what I'm telling you. I mean, they're going to hurt every company. Look, look what the Bank of England had to do when they had a panic. They had to put the money back. They had exactly. They had to do quantitative (laughs) easing, and because the there was a panic because of a a financial device that was being played by pension funds. I, I I am a college dropout. I never graduated. I made credit short, but I think I could do better. I think I could do better in Washington than some of these guys are doing. I agree with that, John. I agree with that. But what I was going to say too, though, earnings this week. You know, you look at the past few weeks, CarMax, Advanced Micro Devices, FedEx this week, 
Tomorrow, Delta and First Republic. Wednesday, PepsiCo. Thursday, Walgreens, Schwab. Friday is the banks. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, PNC, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, U.S. Bank. All those earnings, some global like PepsiCo, some obviously in travel like Delta, that's going to start not only what they earned this quarter, but what they say they're seeing going forward. So I think this is going to be a very interesting week when these companies all start reporting. Uh, Paul Linsis, a story broke out over the weekend, got a lot of people in an uproar. PayPal, their stock has now plummeted because they announced this ridiculous policy that if you s- spread misinformation according to them, then you could be penalized. They could take out 2500 upwards of $10,000 straight from your account. Then they backtracked. I mean, we keep seeing these woke corporations. Well, how do you feel about Twitter? Uh, well, yeah, exa- I mean, once you go woke, you go broke. I mean, you're seeing in the stock. So what is going on with these corporations that, that attempt to kind of do this and think that they can be the arbiters of truth, like like John just said, what Twitter did? Well, what's really scary is um, everything's becoming politicized. And when you're running a business, your focus should be on your customers and doing the best job you can for shareholders. Now, certainly you need to be concerned and care about the society we live in. But companies starting to take huge social stances and implementing policies and strategies based on that, that really becomes becomes quite problematic. It's a very, very, you know, it's a very, very steep hill and incline they're heading down. And there's no turning back. And that's what's scary. You're exactly right. Well, thank you so much, Paul Lunsis, for all your wisdom and insight. And we look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. And now on the line with us, Dr. Mark Siegel. He's a professor of medicine at the NYU Langone Medical Center, author, as well as a contributor to Fox News. And here, WABC Radio, welcome back to Cats at Night, Dr. Siegel. I'm absolutely floored by that great interview with John Casamitidis and our mayor. I mean, this this he never he never ceases to amaze me. Oh, you saw so. it on Twitter. So, yeah, John, you did speak to you interviewed Mayor Adams today at the parade and you also spoke to him recently as well. I had uh I was with him on Sunday afternoon. Uh, David Patterson didn't make the meeting. I don't know what <laughs> happened to David. Um, but um uh the mayor, he wants to solve the problem. Albany, Albany is tying his hands. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to support the mayor, and because, but we're going to kill Albany because Albany has to open up and do their job, and support the mayor and clean up the city. Otherwise, we're in deep crap. Absolutely. Dr. Siegel, now switching gears, we wanted to talk about what's going on. So the Florida State Surgeon General, he came out, put out a study that the COVID vaccine was contributing to the deaths of young men between the ages of 18 and 39. Twitter blocked him for misinformation. Then they let him back on. What do you know about this? Because that was some disturbing news right there. Well, listen, Lydia, I'm going to be nuanced on this because John invited me to be nuanced. I'm going to tell you all of my views, and maybe half of them you'll agree with. Disagree tell us whatever with, you way. feel. No, you always way, have to Lydia, tell us whatever you of feel. I saw Lydia at that parade, too, with that hat on. I mean, I, I, I got to meet her one of these days. You know? <laughs> well, come to the um, studio one day. That's right. Yes, sit come in, sit in, in with us. I absolutely will. So here's my view on this. First of all, the, the whole idea of deciding what misinformation is and blocking someone is un-American because information evolves. And, and, and of course, Latipo is, 
entitled to his opinion. By the way, when my father was sick in Florida, he reached out to me and gave me a cell phone number. The man is a mensch, and he's entitled to his opinion, and he has an MD, and he has a PhD. Now, in, so I can't believe anybody would block him or, or, or remove a tweet. or All of that is complete nonsense and probably got reversed because of Elon Musk, right? But, but regardless, the study itself, and this is the nuanced part, is flawed because of two reasons. First of all, it doesn't tell you, Lydia, it doesn't tell you that less people actually died after receiving that vaccine in the teenage group, even if more, even if more people died from receiving, uh, more people had cardiac problems and cardiac deaths, those teens, but overall death rate was actually lower. Second thing I don't like is that study did not include how many people got heart deaths after COVID itself. Mm-hmm. Because I know, and we know from other statistics, one that of there's the, a risk the, One there. of the people we have breakfast with uh, uh, on Saturday mornings in the Hamptons, a good friend of yours, a good friend of Judge Weinberg's, we lost him that way. Because he had the booster. That's that You guys suspect that. Well, so I'm not denouncing that. I, I actually think that the, the shot has side effects. But what I'm hinting at is you have to compare what the risk of the vaccine is versus the risk of COVID itself. That's what the game always is. This, this vaccine is not risk-free. Somebody on the radio with us right now had a side effect from this vaccine. Mm-hmm. I've seen many. You know, and then and then, by the way, here's something nobody ever talks about. I don't give the vaccine to my patients that have had significant side effects to previous doses of it. Right. You know, we make this decision on a patient by patient basis. And everybody reacts to vaccines and to medications, even over the counter of medications differently. And maybe maybe the message from the Latipo from this Florida study is we shouldn't be so quick to be giving the vaccine to that age group. Okay, the teen male teens, although, again, I'm still afraid of the effects of COVID itself on that group. Believe me. But I I tend to target this new booster to the very old and to people with a lot of chronic conditions, Uh, You know, people way older than anyone on this call. Dr. Siegel, we wanted to just switch it because we're running out of time. So in California now, they're talking about actually penalizing doctors for misinformation. They They passed the law. 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 Oh, yeah. Governor, they passed the law. The governor's doctor, they passed the law that says if a doctor gives out so-called medical disinformation, his license is on the line. Be sanctioned and uh, so removed. what do you do? You're going to shut people up. But well, that's, well, and who, that's, decides? And who decides that? Jinx. First of all, first of all, the information changes every day, doesn't it? What's yesterday's treatments isn't tomorrow's treatments. I mean, you know, you'd have to lock up Tony Fauci for saying don't wear a mask at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Or Mark Siegel for saying use hydroxychloroquine on his father. His father survived. I mean, all of this is evolving. And how about Gavin Newsom for going to the French Laundry in the middle of a pandemic when he was shutting outdoor restaurants? And, and he wants up. to run for, for, for president. Absolutely. Well, um, if, you, if you base it on hairdo, probably he would win. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got Stacey Abrams. She's saying that we don't know when life begins. And she's saying that it's a fallacy and that it's uh, the heartbeat that you hear. An unborn child is something created by man so they can control women. I mean, why are the Democrats? They're the ones that say follow the science, but yet they're telling us not to follow the science. Yeah, I saw Stacey Abrams. I thought Shannon Bream on our channel did a great job interviewing her. But, she did. But I also thought you're right about this. First of all, that's that is not nothing. That's not a, a, an ultrasound. 
sound created sound. That's electrical polling poles that are already forming right where the heart's going to be in a fetus. That's for sure. And what she said on that interview that was disturbing is that a doctor should get in and decide with a woman where viability is. Well, doctors do have a role there, but I, I don't I don't think that that's what a doctor's proper role is to make some kind of uh, deal with a with a pa- with a patient over where viability is. Because after all, there's a third party here called a fetus, isn't there? There is. Absolutely. Uh, we have 30 seconds left, Doctor. Anything else you want to tell people? Well, I want to tell people that there's no such thing as misinformation, that people are entitled to their opinion in this country, and people should not be shut down. And I do not want – doctors should revolt if somebody's trying to lock them away for giving information that someone else but doesn't you know agree with. They that when, they, when, the, when the government threatens your license, you chicken out. You keep your mouth shut. So they want to lock up doctors for COVID misinformation, but they allow them to cut off body parts of children and give them puberty blockers that forever change their lives. Yikes. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Siegel. And you know what our program stands for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American American way. way. God bless America. Thank you so much. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.